Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. We titled this one, Work or Die. It'll become clear as we go through the episode together just what we mean by that, but I wanted to insert myself here to provide a trigger warning. As we work through some of the tough realities and ugly narratives facing disabled people in Canada, the topic of assisted suicide, or MAID, necessarily comes up. We raise it in the context of various legislation and policies in Canadian politics that work to reinforce this work-or-die mentality so deeply ingrained in our capitalist world. It was something a politician said that set me off again, but it's an episode we've been meaning to do for a while. Our good friend Jay Woodruff is here for this one, but I wanted to give a shout out to the many of you on social media for amplifying these issues and helping us all better understand them. In particular, I want to thank Sarah Calero, whose views you'll hear me echo at points, especially as we get into the politics of it all. All right, so there's a video that went around TikTok of Doug Ford talking about how every able-bodied person, every mentally able person needs to get up and work. He goes on about how, you know, the rest of taxpayers shouldn't be supporting people who just don't want to work. That pissed me off for a lot of reasons. More reasons than one. We'll get into them as we go through the episode. But I thought it was time to kind of get into a few of the narratives surrounding disability rights and legislation that deeply impacts disabled people. Namely, the Canadian Disability Benefits that hit the news last week, as well as MADE or assisted suicide. Jay Woodruff's with me in the studio. Jay's a disability advocate, and I'm sure you've heard him on the show before. Jay, did you hear Ford in that video? I mean, it's nothing we've not heard from politicians before, but... Yes, and that's the only way he knows how to... If you say disability, he says work. The narrative they build is work or die. He does not know how to talk about disability without, within two words of speaking, saying the word work. You could say that about the Liberal Minister of, what is it, Employment, Workforce Development, and Disability. That's like disabilities, like the afterthought there in the title. Carla Qualtro. I mean, every time she tweets, every bit of federal legislation that has come down the pipeline has been really tied to getting disabled people into the workforce as this the thing about Qualtro, and I, I really want people to understand, there is no one focused on disability in the Canadian government. Her ministry is workforce development and disability inclusion in that workforce. Her department is ableist just in its foundation and scope. Its mandate is work or die. It's in there in the name, like you're not lying. There's been many years of people thinking that that ministry is actually a disability-focused ministry and that her focus as the token disabled in the government is to help the disabled, but no, her mandate is the ableist work or die. There was an interview she did in 2020 where 
she was condemning Doug Ford, saying the best thing you can do for people on ODSP is get him a job. And she condemned it as ableist, but that's her mandate is develop work force and include the disabled in that workforce. That seems to be the government's answer for everything. Get a job. You know, it, it ignores so much, but it also, you know, that's one of the most pervasive narratives in capitalism, right? That ties your worth to how you've navigated the workforce. And that's not even fair. That makes it seem like it's your job to navigate. It's just like your relationship to the labor force, whatever that is. And you know, when that plays out in somebody who's supposed to be a disability advocate. But I guess, you know, keeping her title in mind, her mandate probably ha has nothing to do with actually helping disabled people. But a lot of people buy into that. A lot of liberals and, you know, even leftists, I think, fall into thinking that some of these things that are being passed are huge improvements, reasons for hope. And, you know, when you read the statements that accompany them, it's obvious. It's obvious that it has nothing to do with helping disabled folks. It's a whole lot of optics and reinforcing that narrative, that work or die, you know, that stands for everyone. In 2020, I authored a House of Commons petition demanding the government create a new benefit for the people they specifically excluded from SERP. The official government response was a list from Qualtro of all of the work-related programs that the government had created. So, if you were working, here's $2,000 that is the minimum to survive. If you were not, we created opportunities for you to work while people are... I, I just want to say right off the bat, the, the funny thing that we tend not to recognize or acknowledge is you take most workers and tell me that working is improving their life. It's not making it much better, especially if you have two or three jobs. So the idea that I don't understand how people can still view humans as capital assets, like it's, it's so messed up. I think some people don't see it that far. They still absorb these narratives and they just feel, you know, you're a better person if you have a well-paying job. They just make these connections. <laughs> without fully understanding what's at the root of it. They don't do a lot of thinking about it. And the reality is there's so many reasons why people don't work. Disability is just one of those reasons. You mentioned one of them, like people end up working, being exhausted and still living in poverty. It's easy to see why some people might make the choice not to do that. But there's other like real barriers like lack of childcare, transportation, the availability of jobs where you live that don't leave you stretched. If you're starving, that's a barrier to working. If you can't afford good clothes or acceptable clothes, that's a barrier to working. If there's so many things that poverty itself is a barrier to working because you're clawing just to survive or fighting just to survive every day, and then go get a job, and then hopefully they hire you without the discrimination that many people face, no matter how good they are fed or how well their clothing is. It's a really, it's one of the most confusing things society does, where there is this idea of get a job and your life is better. Well, we know that's not necessarily true. There's working poor is like the largest 
demographic in this country, I think. And then saying that working solves everything, you should be punished if you don't work, but working doesn't solve anything and you're still getting the punish. It's this cyclical, I think is the word, or circular self-feeding system that has allowed for a lot of other things to happen outside of just disability and work. A lot of social social injustice stems from the things we're talking about. Absolutely. You know, and when Ford gets up there and he says stuff like that, he's reinforcing what a lot of people feel that is damaging to disabled folks, especially, right, that face that extra stigma. But it's, it's a detriment to the working class to not fully understand the, the powers that are at play and the reasons why folks are unemployed and... And that is by design as well. Capital absolutely benefits from a high unemployment rate. But, you know, we really did want to focus on the disability aspect of this because that's essentially who he's talking about. When he's talking about people on, he's saying able-bodied and and mentally able, he was a little more woke this time around, right? Like he acknowledged that there you might be able-bodied but not still able to work. But he's really implying that folks are faking it. That there are people collecting social assistance that are able to find work. And when we're talking about ODSP, that's the Ontario Disability Support Program that Doug Ford is responsible for, it does anything but support people. I wanted to hit at that myth a little bit that people would actually voluntarily go on ODSP even though they could hold down a a job that gave them what they needed you know like let's just unpack what it's like to be on provincial social assistance for folks and just before people think that ODSP is the black sheep of the provincial assistance rates it really doesn't matter who you've elected in BC where the NDP have held a majority for some time the rates are very comparable to Ontario they're all bad right across the country. There is no shining star. You know, we're not going to break down all the numbers here, but you're talking about like $1,300 for a single person. And we know what it costs to live, right? And Jay just reminded you what the government gave everybody $2,000 a month as like the bare necessity to just get you through the pandemic or get you through that lockdown, that joke of a lockdown. As someone on ODSP... Do you see a lot of people like voluntarily getting excited about signing up for that or finding reasons to have their life scrutinized in that way and put in that kind of financial, we call it legislated poverty? The narrative about their scammers, we actually have numbers. I don't have them off the top of my head, but it is a very extremely small percentage after they threw millions at investigating people on ODSP. It was under, I think it was under 1%. So that's over 500,000 people on ODSP and very few extremely rare cases. And that narrative should just end there. Second of all, you're not accusing the people on the program of being frauds or lying or anything you're accusing doctors and specialists of faking tests and forging documents to the government so 
you're not saying that disabled person or that person is milking the system. You're saying that doctors willingly lied to the government to get that person legislated poverty. It makes no fucking sense when you say it out loud, but a lot of people still like to say that out loud, including Ford. So it's a forced conservatorship. They become your parent. Most people have access to a worker, but having that worker respond, having that worker be motivated or even like give a shit is very hard because they probably have a large caseload. So there's no individual connection with the person who is your forced overseer. You have to beg for money for shoes, for a bed, for like everything you must justify and validate a hundred times over. You have to become your own advocate and you have to continuously defend your doctors and specialists prognosis when the government should be having issues with the doctors and dealing with the doctors, not the person who is in a situation where they're on ODSP. So the number one thing I can say is I know people think it's like a, a life of easy luxury to just be handed legislated poverty, but it comes at a cost of the mental health impact and that never gets talked about. No one goes on ODSP without their mental health declining because of the program. And that that's just to apply. After months and months of applying, hopefully you get forced poverty. And let's be clear, like nobody pretends it's anything other than that. The ODSP is broken up into what's called basic needs and shelter. The shelter allowance is abysmal. But the fact that the other category that is also completely inadequate is labeled basic needs, they really do mean it, like basic, basic. There is no assumption or there's no belief there built in that disabled people unable to work can live good lives, that there should be anything left over for the roses, just the bread and barely enough bread. The reality is a week in, right, two weeks in, folks on ODSP are, are out. They're out. They're relying on the food bank. Jay, I don't want to, like, live, speak to your lived experience, but I also don't want you to have to be example either. I don't. I'm, I'm very, I've always been very open about it. It's what society forces on us. So I, I have no shame in talking about the abuse that people allow us to go through. There's a pattern that you get your money at the end of the month. So the next day your rent is due, your bills are due. If you get enough to pay, first off, it, it, the combined amount of shelter and basic needs, there's no safe, healthy place you can find in this country for that amount. Beyond that, once you get past the first day of having that money for the microsecond where you're like, relief that you didn't have some kind of issue or they didn't screw something up and the money is there it's gone and then you go into okay well now i need to beg for mutual aid until it's time for food bank and then those who are lucky enough to go to a food bank it doesn't matter where you live the lines are getting longer the supplies are getting less and it's there is no healthy food bank this is all stuff people like I'm not 
shitting on the the fact that people are donating instead of just throwing it out but there's it's not about health it's about here's canned whatever that looks like it probably was bought by your grandmother in the 60s so it's it doesn't how oh and then sorry you go back to mutual aid begging for uh, another week and a half before the payment comes and then you repeat that there's no one who is living in a situation where the money they get from odsp is 100 percent luxury it's not 100 percent necessity or basic needs or rent or anything so this concept that anyone would game this system is is absurd for folks that want a little bit more detail on life under odsp or the disability social assistance that we have in ontario here we did a live stream where we had advocates on people with lived experience talking about it and one of the main focuses there is what we're going to get into now is because those rates are just so abysmal across the country, like what Jay is talking about is repeated for every disabled person on social assistance across our country. An appeal was made to the federal government to institute a federal disability benefit. I mean, the aims are to lift disabled people out of poverty. The numbers are atrocious. And so it's really upsetting then to then get into the nitty gritty of this bill, C-22, that does get a lot of people excited. And I'll be honest, the folks that we had on our live stream from the organization Disability Without Poverty seemed entirely focused on this bill, which was a major sticking point for a lot of our panelists as well. Things got quite heated. And the more you look into it, the more you understand why. I mean, that thing was tabled in June 2021 and only recently passed in Parliament. And I want folks to just position this next to what Jay was talking about earlier about the pandemic and the emergency payments that went out for $2,000. Meanwhile, this is working its way through the House C-22 as it exists, or sorry, I guess it's no longer C-22. The Canadian Disability Benefit, as it exists, is an IOU to who knows who, because we don't know the qualification criteria. There is no budget for it. There is nothing that supposedly will start seeing payments sometime next year. But there's probably going to be an election next year. And I want... I want to stress, since April of 2020, when the Canadian government mandated that it was $2,000 minimum to survive. So before the recent inflation and before the recent gouging and taking advantage of the pandemic from capitalists, $2,000 to survive three years ago. They have not one government body not one social assistance program was forced to raise to that minimum so three years ago it was determined it's two thousand dollars now we have a blank iou that may come to fruition next year if you qualify who knows how much there was a lot of infighting in the disabled community 
because you did have organizations and a lot of people and a lot of politicians saying, we just need to get it done. We can work out the details later. There was a lot of people who were holding on to that passing and getting money and like being able to survive for the last two and a half fucking years who then got told, I owe you. So C-22, I think, like, I, I, I truly believe it was strictly a PR stunt that they, oh shit, now we have to do it. And that's the only reason it didn't get disappeared. Because they could have, if they didn't pass it when they did, going into the summer break or whatever, it would have died. The bill would have died. So Qualtro and the government made it quite clear that they actually had no intention since 2020 to help the disabled community at all with this. And it, it's tough because you see a lot of people really holding their breath for it. And we can understand why when you're living month to month or, you know, eking by month to month and the prospect of some relief there. So getting tied up in it for so long and there's still so much we don't know about what to expect, but there's stuff we do know that there will be another 18 months on top of the two years folks have been spent all this resource and energy trying to push it through parliament and lobbies, the Senate and lobby MPs and, you know, almost entire organizations built around passing this bill. Again, we'll see in its language the things that we do know tie back to what we started talking about, that same narrative, because it is limited to people of working age. That means it won't be for seniors who are also struggling, right? It won't be for disabled seniors even, who then always fall off of the Canadian federal disability benefits and have to then rely on just standard old age security, which is inadequate. We know it costs money to actually live disabled, right? There are extra accommodations. It's not something that you can then live below the poverty line, but we digress a little bit. And it's for low income people. So the language of qualifications that we do know already tie you directly to the labor force. You are only even an entity based on your relationship there. Terribly disappointing to see that that's the progress that's been made thus far. And I think the purpose... With air quotes, yeah, progress. With <laughs> <laughs> my sarcasm, I didn't put the sarcasm tone on. <laughs> but they fully well have known that relief has been needed for so long. And the thing about having elections, and we learned in Ontario, people worked really, really, really hard to get a lot of good labor legislation passed by the outgoing liberals that included a minimum wage hike that had been scheduled for post-election. For the new year, it was a January 1st minimum wage hike and Doug Ford came in and took it away. You can't take away a hike that's already been there. They had gotten that dollar in if they had gotten that increase in right away. He wouldn't have been able to take it away. And my point is... If they really did want to help people and create a disability benefit and ensure that it wouldn't be erased by incoming conservatives, it's to start paying it out. Yes, they can always take away what has been legislated. But once you start paying people, that is once you start normalizing a service like that, it is much, much more difficult to then take it away. But if it's simply framework legislation that really has no teeth whatsoever and it has no political willpower behind it. 
it's another one of those political moves where it's just complete optics. Going back to Serb, Qualtro kept saying, there's no easy way to get the payments to the disabled. We're working on it. We just, we're having trouble finding the disabled to get them payments. And then a couple of years later, they still are struggling to figure out how to get it to the disabled community. If you look back to 2020 and Serb, that was pandemic relief. That quickly became worker relief. And that has carried on till now. The people who were excluded, who were deemed expendable, are still expendable. That's why they haven't gone since 2020. They did do that one payment. They gave a the smallest amount of the disabled community who had the disability tax credit a one-time payment way back when. At, after, and I need to stress this, and I don't care how annoying it is, and please don't edit it out. 2020, $2,000 is the minimum to survive. No one on social assistance has been brought up to that minimum to survive and then carried on with inflation as it's gone. That's another thing that really, I don't care how flushed out this document was. They have continuously focused on how to exclude as many people as possible. And that was seen in the fact that the amendment to make this guaranteed that everyone who is on disability would get this is by not wanting to piss off the provinces who claw back money from the disabled. Because if you don't know, if you make money while you're on ODSP or uh, a lot of the disability programs, it gets clawed back, meaning the government takes their cut. So go get a job, but we're going to punish you for it. Go make money, but not too much. Yes. Right? That's what we mean by legislated poverty. There is no and, way out. And the, the main sticking point that Qualtro and the government would not let go is if you if a province claws the money back, they're not going to give the money to people to have it clawed back. So basically saying four provinces who claw back the money, you're fucked. That's that's what they've said is this is we cannot. The reason they did not want that to be changed is because that was the number one exclusionary point. So now they get to put in that exclusion and they don't get the blame. The provinces do. You talked about the optics of this stuff. Now the liberal government, Qualtro, can say, well, it's Doug Ford's fault. Well, the age old. Yeah, pointing the fingers back and forth between provincial and federal, like for sure you're going to see that play out or you're going to see the conservatives come in and scrap what's there and it'll be all of their fault. And the reality is they knew exactly how to secure a better life for disabled folks and they refused to do it. And this isn't just trauma porn, you know, reliving this lived experience on on in legislated poverty. It's setting the stage because we're going to talk about made. We're going to talk about the coercive nature of made under these circumstances. And you have to couple, we've, we've really just talked financial, financial barriers. And Jay's touched on the mental impact that has. But we all know that our healthcare system is also under attack. So when you're talking about disabled people, you're talking about people who disproportionately need to access the healthcare system and cannot. And they cannot for so many reasons. 
for the financial reasons we've talked about, for the lack of accessible transit, for the fact that our healthcare system is in ruins, for the fact that mask mandates are being dropped from hospitals, making them unsafe spaces for the immunocompromised. I mean, we could go on. We, we all know what's happening to the healthcare system. So you need to couple that with the frustration of living in perpetual poverty, legislated poverty that you are not able to escape. And at the same time, as also the nation experiences a mental health crisis, the impact of COVID and what we've been through has been trauma. And there is no escaping the fact that folks are absolutely struggling right now in so many ways. But the government seems to find the time to pass legislation to expand the resources and the eligibility for assisted suicide. And let's just be clear, neither Jay nor I nor most disability advocates are against the idea of MAID, are against the idea of medically assisted dying. We are concerned and need to point out just how coercive it's become under these circumstances where your government has refused your request for accommodation. Housing waiting lists are in the years, if you get it. Supports are months waiting list applications. Yet, And the government, the liberals were looking to expand, are going to expand access to assisted suicide to those who do not have a foreseeable death, and that includes mental illness. It, it's a tricky topic, isn't it, Jay? It's not tricky. It's just people conflate it. There's the program of MAID, which is Medical Assistance in Dying, that was lobbied for and created as a program of compassion for people who, no matter what you did, they would suffer. Now, that in and of its own, I view that as compassionate. Absolutely. The problem is when you have people who are perpetually starving, perpetually in unsafe places, who are homeless, who whatever creates a sustained, I'll say, negative impact. We have seen that qualifying because of the way the program is currently built. What I mean by that is it is a tool that has been manipulated. There are things that poverty creates. So we talked about how the disabled community is forced into poverty. And then poverty creates its own issues those issues qualify for made. So that's the coercion. Set of conditions, right? Yes. Like set of intolerable living conditions. Yes. There are people who we've seen stories of people who have been unable to find safe, adequate housing who have qualified because not having safe, adequate housing creates mental and physical issues that qualify for made. If you talk about mental health. I have a long list of people whose mental health is destroyed by the poverty that disability programs force on them. These conditions qualify. When you expand that for mental health, technically, I can go on starving as I have because I don't go without food. I do consume enough to survive so far but there's a massive mental impact of the scraps of begging for help of 
begging people to borrow money to get some food. The mental health impact of that alone will make you eligible for medical assistance and suicide. So people really are conflating between the compassion and the coercion of when you force people into horrible situations and refuse to offer them a way out of that situation because you're not going to offer me anything that gets me out of my autoimmune diseases and the disability well it, unless there's a cure if, if you hand me a cure maybe that changes things but there's nothing you can hand someone that removes disability there will always be issues in this unbelievably top to bottom left to right ableist way we live you don't need to starve them. You don't need to force them into conservatorships. You don't need to punish them. You don't need all of these things that come with being disabled. We're not going to help you live, but you now qualify for me. It's, it is a slow crawling, unbelievably disgusting thing to witness. And it's so easily conflated by people who view made as a program of compassion and say, we need this program. Why are you fighting against this program? We're not. We're fighting about it being expanded to qualify for poverty. It is, and it is very important to note, Canada leads this planet in harvesting organs through medical assistance and dying. We're coercing people. We're expanding it beyond the scope it ever was intended to. It is being targeted at the disabled community, people in poverty who seem to be worthless alive, but those organs are prime meat to this government. So it's, it's so much more than what people make it out to be as, oh, you're against medical assistance and dying. Yeah, no, and the coercion is like on so many different levels too. It's not just the that the fact that we make it a lot easier to die than we do to live well, but there have been very explicit examples of coercion where people are told the type of healthcare that you need in this facility will cost you X. You know, one of the examples we saw was eighteen hundred dollars a day. That is an insurmountable sum. And in turn, they are given pamphlets or suggestions that made is an option too, right? Very explicit coercion. And that is going to happen, especially when you consider that the Canadian healthcare system relies so much on private companies, profitized companies to deliver our healthcare services. In BC, there's the example of radiologists or the imaging facilities that they have. Half of the facilities are privately run, but they only get X amount of dollars, you know, per scan. And they're saying that's not enough to make profit off of. Well, no shit, you're not supposed to profit off of healthcare. The point is there are clinics and facilities that have been profitized and will go through your healthcare line by line. And the this kind of analysis does not have value in human life. That isn't a line item when they're deciding if you're worth that level of care, if you're worth that level of support, if you're worth that level of housing. And uh, the more that we allow that neoliberal mindset to set our budgets and especially leak into healthcare, the more people are definitely going to have to opt for assisted dying rather than trying to navigate through this healthcare system 
that doesn't see any value in them. Obviously, there's been a lot of uproar about this expansion. The public has done a good job of creating that push from below. But unfortunately, I think we're getting into another example of optics where the liberals have pushed back the expansion of this eligibility to people with mental health issues for a year. They're going to study. They're going to consult. I'm sorry, did you guys pass this expansion with the help of the NDP and the Bloc? The almost unquestionable help of those parties? Only the Conservatives stopped and said... And I hate to give them this credit because they'd know what to say. They would never do it. One of the statements that they gave in the House was directly to the fact that there are very little mental health services for people except for MAID. If you look at the statements around the Liberals talking about this delay, it's not to address those concerns. They're worried they're pushing this too fast on jurisdictions. They know how many people will sign up for this when they expand it because they know how hard people are struggling. And they know that provinces will not be able to handle the level of services that they'll need. What's their quote there? It will provide time to help provincial and territorial partners and the medical and nursing communities to prepare to deliver made in these circumstances. There's absolutely nothing in this push, this delay of a year, there's nothing to imply that they are going to consider trying to make life easier for people with mental illness. And so when we're talking about mental illness, we're talking about disability. These are one in the same. Uh, that Again, people are thinking they've made headway with the government. They have heard us. They have heard our concerns. They've pushed a delay only to realize their concerns were all backroom concerns. They had been getting pushback from the provinces and what it would cost to administer made because, yeah, they're busy cutting our health care. The reality is if you are not born into disability, if it's a workplace accident, if it's like me, an undiagnosed autoimmune disease that... Uh, is a ticking time bomb and it goes off regardless of the details you don't know what is out there until it happens you go to a doctor one day and they say your life is forever changed and when it comes to you you don't know how bad healthcare is until you need it they're not trying to make it easier they're trying to make more people qualify. There are doctors in Quebec who are fighting for it to be expanded to babies in case you accidentally have a baby born with disabilities. Like that is the reality is not sneaking up on anybody. They're witnessing it happen and they don't care. To me, obviously I live this, but to me, the fact that this exists knowing full well that disability is a part of the human life cycle. The reward for a long life is disability, sight, hearing, motor skills, cognitive function. Your body wears down. I've heard that enough that it's actually numb. I'm numb to it. It is normalizing suicide after decades of trying suicide prevention, uh, making it such a focus that mental health and suicide prevention were so important, unless you're disabled or in poverty. People make jokes about it online, and but the reality is that a lot of mental illness is caused by poverty. The anxiety, the depression, the weight of chronic stress on your nervous system is often why people are at their wits end. And 
to know this and to just constantly deny any relief to the same people that you are then designing a system around to end the suffering when, you know, you could help them live better. And I think the worst part of it for me, like with all disability issues, is that it is mostly ignored by folks that could prioritize these issues. And for MAID, I think it is a tricky one because the folks who advocate for it really, from a disabled perspective, are trying to build a compassionate system. There should be a way for folks to end suffering that cannot be cured. But when you live in a province that even scales back treatment for chronic pain, you can then understand how people are given the option between assisted dying or not being able to afford their their pain medication any longer for, for an unforeseeable amount of time. That is a very hopeless situation, and that's repeated so many times over. We went all over the place in this episode, but at the root of it is driving home, one, the disability rights that are being denied consistently. But at the root of it all is that work narrative that capitalism absolutely depends on, where we start to value human beings only only based on their income or their ability to quote-unquote earn an income. And it's far more prevalent in the, on the left and in what we consider progressive circles than I think, because when I've gone door-to-door many, many, many times, and you talk to people who think public health care is great, they talk about progressive issues, but they still believe their neighbor down the street should be working that there's no reason they should be collecting welfare, disability payments. I've seen them. They can walk to their car just fine. And it's it's so pervasive. I think that plays into why there's not enough pushback when we highlight the issues that we need to fight, you know, and why disability rights keep getting deprioritized. It it does. It's It's very pervasive because we've all grown up under capitalism. Even when we ask each other, what do you do? We mean, what do you do to make money, right? Usually that's what people mean. That's how we greet strangers. What do you do? How do you navigate capitalism, <laughs> you know? And that is at the root of it. So when I heard Doug Ford get up there and start kind of driving this home and it getting so many replays without enough pushback, it it was a reason to kind of re-examine these so-called liberal policies for disabled folks uh, because I think the politicians often tasked with helping disabled people end up hurting them more, you know, with either false hope or legislation completely framed from this meritocracy perspective. It's this thing where capitalism and governments use the disabled as a warning to workers. This is what happens if you don't work. And workers are like, yeah, fuck them, they should work. That's not where the the focus or perspective should be. And the narratives you've talked about or we have talked about are trying to force that perspective constantly because why look at yourself and go, wait, the way we do things is just really fucking wrong. And instead of that, you're going to blame that person on Ontario or welfare, social assistance. I'll just say social assistance. We joke about our yachts, the ODSP yachts, 
because we live such luxurious lives. And it gets to the point where you see people, oh, I saw my neighbor who's on ODSP drinking a beer like you have no right to have that. Or I saw them eating this food. That's not healthy. I don't know if given an entire day to talk nonstop, if I could cover all the ways society absolutely abuses people on social assistance and then blames them. I wanted to tell a story. Just <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to get it out. We'll see what we do with it. My neighbor, we'll call her Karen. Okay. Good Christian lady. And I was talking over the fence with her. She's got a unit in her beautiful home that she rents out. And she was between tenants and talking about having to interview people and wanting to find the right person. And she she knows my views, right? I've run in the neighborhood. They had my sign on their lawn. I make my views very well known. We've had talks over the fence about other things. So, But she felt no ways in proudly telling me that she would not rent to somebody on ODSP. And I told her, you know, that's illegal. And she's like, but you got to be kidding me. They'll be home all day and you never know. They'll never be able to afford it. And, you know, so if I just see that on the application, it's it's a no. And she was not expecting any kind of pushback on that. She thought that was perfectly okay. And the reason I kind of throw that in there is just to drive home your point there that you made that even those folks that you think are like really good people, there is this really awful narrative surrounding those on social assistance. Even when you know it's because they are fucking disabled. Does she wear glasses? Yes, she does. She's disabled. Ironic. She needs accessibility devices. This is the thing that I, I the reason I say that is there are so many people who don't understand how disabling the way we live life is under capitalism and just as a society, the way our society is structured now, the mental health impact, you, you, you have a family if you have a family and then you send them off to other people to help look after them so you can go earn someone else money so you can hopefully afford a place you rarely spend any time in to eat food with people you rarely see like it's just so absurd but the problem is uh, that person's on odsp why is it you can sit there and go i ain't renting to someone on odsp i ain't renting to this person or that person or i'm not hiring that person it's not so much the disability in that circumstance i think it's the social assistance although mm -hmm. i'm not denying any stigma around disabled people it's it doesn't matter if it's because, you know, you've got kids and you, there's no way you're affording childcare, so you've got to stay home or whatever your reason is that you can't get into the workforce or it would kill you. You know, there's just people yeah. won't let that go. That makes you lesser of a person in their eyes. It absolutely does. And I think it also makes and no wonder, considering the experience it is, but also knowing the stigma that's built into our lives. We feel that, too, when we take social assistance than when we need it quite often. Like even people who pay into unemployment insurance their whole lives sometimes will go months without trying to claim it because they think they're perhaps not in a situation where they need it, it, it or they don't want to take it from the purse or whatever it is. But it's just incredible stigma around a system 
that is designed to just like support us all, right? To make sure nobody gets left behind. Uh, it's just not framed that way, not by hardly any politicians either. So when they're talking about it, they're all talking about it from that perspective that, well, if we could just find ways to get autistic people into the workforce, knowing the unemployment rate for autistic people is between like 80 and 85%. And knowing how many undiagnosed autistic people are out there, can you just imagine how many people are trying to figure out why they can't hold down a job but yet not qualify for disability or any of the other supports or they do and and who get fired because they ask for an accommodation because I am autistic which happens countless times that's something else that we didn't really touch on but kind of is an expansion of your your neighbor's story about social assistance if you think about this work narrative because that's kind of what set this whole thing off is Doug Ford's ignorant comments. That ableism, I could work. There is something I could do. But who's going to pay me? I may not be there. I, I may have to take off like in the middle of the day. I may not be able to show up for weeks on end. I may need all these accommodations. Like the reality is go get him a job. Like it's that easy to have an employer who doesn't have that same ableist view the landlord neighbor has if if business if capitalism wasn't about grinding people down and then casting them off then there could be opportunities and if there are opportunities let's say congratulations you have now found something you can do awesome we're clawing that money back we're gonna make you add on expenses for work because working costs you money so how about if we flip it to stop punishing the disabled or people on social assistance and start supporting them who knows what the fuck happens if mental health is not attacked but supported and helped if people aren't starving if people aren't in unsafe unhealthy living situations that's the only thing we haven't tried it's just like housing the only thing we haven't done to the homeless community is put them in a fucking house like the the whole fucking concept of Oh, these people are taking from me because they're taking taxpayers' money. Are you equally as pissed off that there's $22 billion that the Ontario government is just holding? Because, like, a lot of the things that you're blaming people on you being the... I'm still on the neighbor framing. No, I know you're not talking to me. But if you have this hate towards the the impact of the fractions of assent that these people are putting directly on you what about the government that's putting that person in that position what about the fact that you won't let them improve their life by renting them that place like there's a refusal to own the ableism because it's so normalized i guess that's why we do episodes like this because i do realize there is ableism that exists in progressive circles and little l big l it doesn't really matter but they see them as the like compassionate version of conservatives at least on social issues but one look at their record on disability and the fact that the ndp have supported all of these moves tells you that you know there really is no canadian electoral champion for disabled people the disabled community isn't being attacked by governments. It's being attacked by society, which enables governments to do this stuff. 
that's something that a lot of people don't like to discuss. I don't know, Jay. I'm going to challenge you on that. When someone like Doug Ford stands up and implies that there are disability cheats out there, that is an attack that like comes from the top. A lot of these narratives mm -hmm. are pumped up from the people with really high platforms. And so that's we're going to hold echo. them a little bit responsible. Oh, no, they're they're holy. Again, twenty two billion dollars. There's five hundred thousand people on ODSP who are starving who are in unsafe, unhealthy conditions, who whose lives are made worse once getting accepted to ODSP. So yes, fuck Doug Ford. That ableist prick has been killing people for a long time. But society is like the neighbor seeing that person there. I've seen them working. Doug Ford just has to parent that or parrot that back. I don't think people think that deeply about it. They swallow that shit and spit it back out whole as it was digested, you know, and it's far easier to do that than really examine because I can see it in people's eyes when you start to list, mm -hmm. like I go on rants in my family, for example, you know, do you know what it's like to be on ODSP in this province? You know, and I'll like, blood, do you know how easy we're making it to get made and blah, 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 and how they're stringing them along with the Canadian disability benefits. And like their eyes glaze over after a while. They're kind of mortified. They can't believe it. They think I must be exaggerating that it, it can't be this bad. We are Canada. There's no way we, we do this to a huge portion of our population. And it's better off if I just think that buddy down the street is just a cheat or my cousin who... You know, I've had to work really hard my whole life, even though I feel like I'm disabled. So my cousin should have been doing the same instead of getting checks from the government. You know, even though that employment yeah. has destroyed you <laughs> and left you broke. And so but we always are looking for someone to blame. So in the same way you explained that capitalism mm -hmm. needs an example of what happens when you don't work. We like to reassure ourselves that at least we are not them. And there, there's a certain comfort in that for a portion of the population and, and questioning that erases that comfort level. I think there's also, there's a term many people may not know that is internal ableism. And this is something that I struggle with. Many, many people struggle with. And it's the echoes of that societal work or die. So when I hear Doug Ford saying that stuff, it's... And, and Qualtro, we can't forget Qualtro on all of this, seeing that worker die, pushing that worker die, and, and the idea that I am a mooch or a leech or, or burden or whatever. There are days where I'll wake up and for like two minutes, I'm not feeling my disabilities or my diseases. And it's like, oh my God, am I better? I have progressive things. They will never get better. But I still will be like, hey, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do this. I have nonstop, since my doctor said you may never work again, I have done nothing but try and find a way that I can work within my accessibility needs. And this is, I, I have full control over that. But then I get everything lined up. And then the reality is, oh, shit, wait, I can't do this. So that internal ableism has been grinding me down so i do it to my fucking self 
And that is, I hate to say it, but not really because of the podcast itself. It's capitalism that you must be an exploitable resource or you are spent and you are done and you need to die is truly how we live our existence as human beings. It is most predominantly experienced by the disabled community and people in poverty because when you look at the cycle that is capitalism, we're viewed as at the end of that cycle. We're right at that wood chipper and, and everyone's trying to push us in there. No, but the wood chipper reference, as bad as it is, made me realize that there's one word we didn't use but was prevalent through our discussion and that's eugenic. Mm-hmm. But it's it's what we've been describing, right? The elimination of disabled people through many different means, uh, the erasure from the narratives, but also the physical erasure and the devaluement of their lives. So thank you, Jay, for unpacking all of this with me. Uh, We did go on tangents, but I think it's clear that all of the things that we discussed are very closely tied to one another. Definitely deserves a little bit more deep analysis in terms of Canadian politics and, and what folks are doing for disabled people. It was never our own bootstraps that are supposed to lift us up. Right? That's the myth of libertarians try to sell that trash, especially. But it's inherent in a lot of, of the discourse that we have. But that's it's bullshit. We lift each other up. We were It's why we came together as a species in the kind of communities that we did. It's to make sure we don't leave people behind. And we've completely lost sight of that. Not all of us. Not all of us. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.